Um, Julie uh, was at the Open University in the business school for many years, and so she has the experience of both distance education and face-to-face uh, -face education. And this really is the theme for her talk today. She's going to be talking about um, moving from distance to mixed mode. Julie's going to speak for about 40 minutes, and then there'll be time to have a discussion with her. So, over to Julie then. Okay, thanks, Agnes. Thanks very much for asking me to talk. Um, I, I thought I couldn't really launch into talking about my current research and so on without some reflections on what it's been like to... I was here for 16 years, and more than that, I'm a product of the OU. Um, you know, one of these classic people that came from a working-class family, left school at 16, got married at 18, rapidly produced a whole brood of children, and didn't start studying with the OU until my youngest child was two. Um, so my first degree is an OU one, and so is my PhD it's from IET, in fact, with Robin Mason as my supervisor. So I'm very much a product of the OU. In 19, I think it was 84 or 85, um, I started teaching for the business school. Well, it wasn't a business school then. It was still part of the continuing education. Um, and I taught on one of the first effective manager residential schools. So I also grew up with the business school and ultimately became something called a MEC. Anyone here remember them? They were management education coordinators. They're now called regional managers. Um, that was about uh, 1989. Um, worked in the regions and was part of the original push into continental Western and Eastern Europe during the early 90s and ultimately came here as Director of Presentation and then stayed at Walton Hall until I left three years ago. So you can see that I actually didn't know there was anything else. You know, this was... <laughs> I mean, this has been my educational process and, and my whole existence, if you like. And so I was either very brave or very foolish at that point in my career to make the shift. Um, and, and, and so, to a certain extent, I thought it was worth kind of reflecting on what it's like to do research and to teach in a very different kind of university. So, there's a little bit about that, and I'm happy to answer more about that. Um, but, um, really, I'd like to tell you more about what I've been doing for the last three years, what my role has been, and how it's worked out. And, of course, it's work in pro progress, so it's where I've got to at this point. So that's what my talk's about, okay? Yeah? All right. Um, so, first of all, a little bit about Leicester. Um, Leicester, as you probably know, is very much an Asian city. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure what the percentage is, but it's something like a fifth or a quarter of the population are students. In, in term time, which tends to dominate um, the whole term time environment in the city. So having moved from here to there, it's very much a sort of students in your face all the time, whether you're in a restaurant in the centre of the city or on the campus. But there also are some very beautiful places, like the Botanical Gardens belongs to the university. 
Um, this is the main building where the Vice-Chancellor and all his oppos are housed. Um, this is it in the snow. As you can see, there's sculptures that you can go and sit around. And, um, and it's, it's quite a different environment. This was a, a lunatic asylum in the 19th century, um, which, you, which some people think is quite appropriate. Um, now, the key thing that you notice at this time of the year, and it's just started this year, is Freshers' Week. The overseas students arrive and then... The, the local students return or, or start. Um, and it goes from being hardly anyone around similar to here to suddenly, um, this time last year, I queued for more than an hour um, to get a bit of money out of a cash point. <laughs> and you have to try and remember to take your sandwiches to work because otherwise, you know, you just don't eat because all the catering facilities are flooded. And, and so there's very much this sort of rhythm of people arriving and all of a sudden they've gone. <clears throat> and um, we're also very much sort of a science um, orientated in many ways, the medical school and so on. Um, and so there's all kind of physical things around, including a department of geology, which I absolutely love. So I'm always going in there and they're saying, Julie, Julie, we've got a new rock, you know. And I play around with the rocks. And, you know, so I'm just reflecting on some of the things that were very much a kind of physical and tactile about Leicester that I really had not ever experienced before. Um, this is our new library, which has just been extended. Um, this is where I work. Um, my office is the top right-hand corner of the tallest tower, which is the most incredibly grotty tower you could imagine. And when we called our research unit Beyond Distance, they took us entirely seriously <laughs> and put us up the top there. And the way you get there um, is through a paternoster lift. Has anyone been on a... I actually couldn't find a picture of it. I should have taken a picture of it. But it's, it's, for those who don't know, it's a continuous lift that you step on and off. A bit like you see in hotels um, for putting your dinner in to come up from the kitchen. That's how we get to our offices. And at this time of the year, they slow it down until the students get used to it and then speed it up again. So... At this time of the year, it takes me three minutes to get to my office from the ground. And later in the term, it'll only take me just under two minutes. So, <laughs> so if you like to come and visit us, and we love having visitors, um, you know, we, we'll treat you to a ride in the Paternoster lift. And if you're very brave, you can actually go over the top and underneath. It doesn't tip like a fairground ride. You just <laughs> stand still and it's sort of goes like that and um, one of the good things about the student union shop which is just at the, the bottom that you can buy newspapers in the morning for 20p um, and so I tend to open my newspaper on the way up in the Paternoster in the morning and get interested in something and find myself coming back down <laughs> the other side <laughs> and forgetting to get off at the 18th floor um, so that's an example of um, student residences, which are actually three miles distance. And the university owns a lot of property around Leicester, most of them very attractive, these Victorian buildings. Um, and in fact, I bought a flat 
in a Victorian building, which is really interesting to me because I've always had very modern houses and property before. Um, and so actually, the campus more or less disappears. Everything, you know, everything closes down around five or six o'clock, and the students all get on buses and disappear back to the residences. Um, and you see the use of the VLE start to go up as they arrive. So they go back, and much of it is a college system, and their interaction with each other is there rather than on the campus itself, which from the point of view of distance and mobile learning has been an interesting approach and has actually helped us to understand how to blend very much more the campus learning with the distance and mobile learning. Um, and that's just a shot of the park, which you can see the tower overlooks and all the students coming into the campus in the morning. So I think you can see from being here and actually being marginally off campus in the Michael Young building in my last few years here, um, this was a very different environment to sort of drop me into. Um, that doesn't look like it's going to work terribly well, does it? Um, I just, we had to change the mouse on here because, so I think I'll go into, I just thought you might just like to see the external website as a way of, um, you don't see your own, do you? Um, th there's, a, there's a lot around in Leicester that I feel is, is quite physically based. And I suppose my awareness of thinking of that, um, museum studies is very powerful and, and all the use of artefacts. Um, there's a lot of interest in live music and we have a lot of live music. Um, those kinds of things were something that I looked at. But as you can see, we also have, in addition to the undergraduates on campus, um, I think it's 7,500 distance learners, mostly postgraduates. And they are truly distance. They're um, Middle East, Far East, the Caribbean, typically. Um, so in that sense, it is truly mixed mode. Now, most of the distance learning, however, has grown up in a very different way from the way it grew up at the OU, where it was very carefully crafted. <coughs> All the systems and processes were embedded. This was largely one academic with a good idea, stuck out in a department, prepared to spend his or her own time in producing a distance learning course. So I can't tell you how different it is. And most of them are very closely guarding this. You know, they're not really interested in the kind of understanding of distance learning that any of you would have. Um, and yet, when I went <coughs> to the OU, uh, to the Leicester uh, three years ago, um, my um, remit was twofold. One to advise the senior team of the university in a strategic sense um, of how to enable e-learning to become embedded throughout all modes of learning in the university. So it obviously included the campus-based students and indeed the 7,500 distance students who were largely unseen in this system. Um, 
and also to establish a research unit to provide evidence and a way forward to underpin that strategy. So much of the rest of what I'm going to tell you has been about that journey so far. Um, let's go back to the PowerPoints. Um, now, this is how it felt actually going into um, the distance learning units. Um, <coughs> It took a bit of courage, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, and um, I got a few splashes. However, as you can see, my colleagues were extremely polite. Um, uh, they nodded wisely when I said, you need learner support? Oh, it's okay, we've got someone down the office, um, just down the corridor, who does that. She comes in on a Friday. Um, I said... Um, can you tell me about your learning design model? Um, no. Um, can you tell me what you mean? Um, who are your um, tutors, I say? Um, well, I do most of it. So I'm beginning to, to tell you how different it really is was at that time. Um, some of you might know that David Christmas, who was a senior administrator here, moved to Leicester at the same time as me. Um, and we shared an office, fortunately, for our first six months. And we didn't need that kind of support from each other. Um, and, and, and he's still relatively sane uh, as well as me. And, um, but his role now has been to bring together all the administrative systems and processes as I've been looking at the learning um, and the learning models um, across the whole university. And within about a year, um, all the distance learning, learning support and the administration will be under one umbrella. Um, and that may not sound anything much to you, but I tell you it is, and we will be having a big party when it works. Um, so, just a little bit about what was new. If you, if you think about when we're talking about e-learning in the 21st century, we talk about a sense of place, don't we? About creating a virtual university, about creating the experience of presence, about how groups work together, how they discover using resources. So when you think about moving to a place that is truly mixed mode, that has all these characteristics and affordances, you can see it was very challenging for me. Um, the other issue was this sense of pace. I mean, at the OU, I think the very first workshop I did on learning, uh, writing distance learning materials was done by Derek Roundtree. And, and I think that, that I thought that was the only way you could do it, and he convinced me it was the only way you could do it, and I've done it that way ever since. Um, and certainly this whole sense of audience, of pace, of process um, was certainly embedded in my veins that I just didn't find when I went there. You know, it was being handcrafted in a very individual way and it was about individual subjects. The only thing is it worked. It worked. You know, I found there was another way. So this sense of pace was missing. And the idea of space being used... Um, 
in a precious way, you know, the odd tutorial, the odd residential school. There wasn't that kind of sense at all. Um, space was just simply, you know, you flew out and gave a lecture if you wanted to. It wasn't embedded in to use being in a physical presence in that sort of way. Um, so, you get a kind of a feel of the kind of place I found myself in. Well, then um, I got my mission from the Vice-Chancellor. Um, I have to say the senior team have been just amazingly supportive all the way through, even if sometimes they have scratched their heads about some of my suggestions. Um, and one of the things that uh, <coughs> the Vice-Chancellor aspired for Leicester um, is that we were, we became innovative. Um, now, of course, that means all sorts of different things to different people, but this is kind of one of the structures that I've used, that if you look at social innovation, in other words, learning innovation, as opposed to product innovation, in, which is typically commercial, um, there's one way you can look at You could actually defend your core business. You could do what you do well, um, or you could perhaps do more of it or do it in a different market or whatever. That may sound fairly familiar to you, perhaps. Um, or you can build an emerging business. You can do something that you couldn't have done before. Yeah, And that's obviously some of the things the OU's done as it's gone into different levels of learning from its original core business, perhaps. Uh, but what we were trying to do was really create new viable options for a mixed-mode university. In other words, to do things that couldn't done before. And I, you might like to think about this at some time because I think the majority of universities have used learning technologies to do those sorts of things, whereas we wanted to be up here. Now, I'm not entirely sure we've got there yet, but we are staggering um, along some of those pathways, I think. So, do you get the idea of that one? Um, the next thing I did was have a look at what my stakeholders were. I mean, clearly this wasn't something that one individual was going to be able to do on her own, or even two of us come to that. So I spent quite a bit of time, of course, I was trained by the systems faculty here, so rich pictures, systems thinking was the, the way I thought about things. So this was a tidied up version of my first rich picture, actually, of what the stakes were. And I'm not going to spend time on it, but I'm sure you can see where most of it was. Um, that there was the sense of, you know, using e-learning as well as campus-based learning. And somewhat further away was the I idea of using e-learning instead of campus-based learning. Um, the management camp was in the middle and supportive, so we didn't have this worry about senior management buy-in. Um, the temple of pedagogy was definitely being swamped by the virtual cre uh, creepers of, of learning technologies. The techies were doing their thing um, behind the firewall and needed to be coached out with interesting morsels of various kinds. 
there was a huge amount of reluctance around the fact that we're talking about three years ago, so we're talking about 2004, about the fact that e-learning was a little bit in the doldrums. There was, you know, the impact of the e-university, and a few people got their fingers burnt with that. And, and so generally, it was pretty boggy stuff in terms of persuading people that this was worth doing. And somewhere in the middle were those of us who were trying to research and teach. And that's where the crafter's plane was, which was fairly lonely, really. So, um, <coughs> this is what I actually did to start with. Um, again, you'll recognise my roots of being trained by OUBS. Everyone in OUBS only thinks in two-by-two two matrices. Have you noticed? <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> um, um, and this is based on the Ansoff matrix, which is actually really a marketing focus. But I adapted it for learning technologies. And in my first year at Leicester, I actually developed a, an e-learning strategy um, that tried to deal with the interests of the different stakeholders the different markets and the different opportunities we had associated both with both technology and pedagogy. So I'll tell you about it very briefly. So this was the established student focus, the students we knew, the students we wanted to offer something more to, using stable and familiar technologies. We've got Blackboard, it's okay, it works well, no problem. We had a pretty good digital library. Um, which was 24-7, things like that, um, was actually enhancing the pedagogy and the opportunities around all of that. Um, and then we wanted to take the established uh, technologies out to new missions, new markets, and to do new things with them. Then we've got existing students with new technologies. At that time, it was wikis and blogs were new, Mobile learning was pretty new, and so on. And then we wanted to do attract new students and new technology, the risky stuff. Now, essentially, the development work in the university was on the left-hand side, and we needed the research and the smaller-scale piloting work on the right-hand side. Um, and this was one of the things that proved, has proved very important to distinguish between the two. So we weren't going out asking all academics to change their practice and do all of this, but we were trying it on a smaller scale. And this was our core, if you like, technologies. And these were peripheral technologies, some of which have since become core, and some of which we've let them go. So it was a matter of having a sense of process, of providing research evidence, which is very important in a research-led university. Now, if you can hold that two-by-two two matrix um, in your mind, these were the key strategic aims. Um, it was very much about um, the equivalence for students, regardless of whether they were distance, part-time, or on campus. Um, the notion of equivalence was incredibly important. Not the same provision, but an equivalent experience. We realised that our only chance was to build institutional capacity through the staff, because the whole process was so autonomous, that was really the only way we stood any chance of making a difference. Um, 
and you can see the others. But probably the first two will have been prove, proven the most important. Um, now, one of the main outcomes of the strategy was the engagement of staff and building capacity linked with student learning outcomes. And we built something called the Media Zoo. And if you come to Leicester, we'll be happy to show you the physical version of the zoo, which is essentially a room which is kitted out well away from the students who flood the campus at all times so that staff could play around with technologies without being observed by the students. Um, and that's proved very important. Um, there's also a virtual version of it, which I'm going to show you on the web, which is open and accessible to all of you. Um, and this is the Second Life version that is going to be open in the next couple of weeks. Um, as you can see, there's four quadrants. Um, it looks a bit like the Eden Project, doesn't it, in that picture? Now, you might be interested to see that picture because when the designers started to build on our Second Life island, they used that, that, uh, the virtual island, my stakeholder picture, to provide a little bit of a framework. So it's more or less the same shape as my stakeholder rich picture. Um, there's also seminar rooms and so on. So it's an experimental area, but essentially it's streaming all the results of our research in there. So that if staff want to play around in Second Life, they're also getting a bit of knowledge about learning technologies at the same time. Um, and what I'm going to do is uh, show you the virtual version of it. Oh, doesn't matter. Um, I've put the URLs at the end of this talk, which I'll leave with Daisy or Agnes or someone. So if you want to have a look around for yourself, because I'm going to go through fairly quickly. Um, but, you know, have a play. It's, it's all there. Now, if you remember, there was the four quadrants of the strategy. What we did with the Media Zoo was divide it similarly into the four quadrants. So it was our way of trying to embed the strategy was to provide a fun type area which represented the strategy. <coughs> so the top area is Pets Corner. Do you remember that was the, the use of the VLE and familiar technologies? Um, and so we, we, cho we chose to use the idea of Pets Corner where you could actually pick the animals up and touch them without them biting you. And the wild, technological wildlife really wasn't too unfriendly. And, and you can have a, have a look and see the various projects are in there. This is one I'm, I'm pretty pleased with. Um, it's called a daily. Oh, all our research projects have the names of animals for obvious reasons. Um, a daily is a penguin, um, as you can see. And this was um, higher education funded... Um, uh, Pathfinder project, which was looking at taking the strategy out and really building capacity um, in an autonomous way throughout the university. Um, all of these things have lots of blogs and wikis in there, so if you're interested in the journey that we've been on, we try to keep, keep them as a journey rather than research outcomes, so that whenever we find something out, our reflections are on there. So they're all open and you can have a look at those. Um, so that's a daily. Um, we had to do something about assessment too, 
Um, so and that's the Adder project. Um, a lot of these are partnerships because we are an alliance in that sense. Because actually at Leicester, the research in itself, we now got I've now got nineteen. Um, staff in the research unit, but nearly all on funded projects. The only thing about that is that you that there's no process of e-learning going on in the university except for us, if you see what I mean in terms of research. So the alliance and working with others is extremely important to us. So again, that's ADA. It's actually building on the Adaily project. And it used my work on five-stage models and activities, but with a focus on assessment, which I'm sure you know has to be aligned um, with learning and teaching um, in terms of e-learning as well. So you get sort of the idea of that. Um, now, do you remember this one? This is Safari Park. This is taking out what we know and what we're learning through the use of stable technologies and pedagogies to new missions and markets. Um, and the sorts of things we're doing here, um, <coughs> we've been adopted by the UN as a community of expertise in distance and mobile learning. Um, and we've got this project which is called ELKS, um, which is actually um, taking out the research into developing countries through an exchange mechanism. Um, it's actually one of the most difficult things I've done because I don't really know that much about developing countries. Um, so it's been essential that it's been an exchange process and we've learnt a lot. Um, but at the moment, we're running a short version of my e-moderating course with them and learning absolutely loads about what it's like to do it in um, Brazil, Sri Lanka and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. So that's one of the things we're doing in that one. You still with me? Yeah? Right. Do you remember this one? This is the breeding area. Okay. This is the top right-hand corner. And in the breeding area, we're looking particularly at technologies that have not been produced for learning purposes. So here we're interested in PDAs, podcasting, all that kind of thing, really. Um, and there's a whole range of projects in there. Um, the PROW one um, was in collaboration with the OUs, a number of people here involved, in, including Chris. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think Chris will remember that at the beginning, in fact, this, the proposal for this went in soon after I'd arrived at Leicester. I had no idea that they didn't have people you could label as associate tutors and we spent quite a long time looking for them <laughs> wandering around the campus and actually they weren't there because they weren't identified in the same kind of way which actually made the project more difficult but also more interesting and I think another thing about this project is we started to use um, an open source sort of blog and wiki environment um, and because it kind of worked, within a matter of probably a couple of months, it was adopted by the university, moved from the right-hand side over to the left-hand side, and is now embedded and is used for a whole range of processes. Now, doesn't that sound quite quick to you, you know, compared to what would happen here? 
So there's not the kind of angst that goes into that. Oh, well, if it works, we'll use it, you know. Um, so that was another big difference, um, where as, as long as I could persuade the IT people that it was usable, um, and so much of the process of working out how to use it, um, how to make it work better, was done in flight, really, rather than in advance. And I'm sure you'll agree that's a quite different process. Um, probably the one I'm most proud of, I don't know whether this video is going to work, I'm just going to, I didn't have time to try it, so. Got no sound? Doesn't look like it, does it? It should have worked even from the... Um, well, even without speakers, you should have heard it, shouldn't we? I won't bother you with that. But you might like to have a look at the little video on there. It's only two minutes. Um, it also shows quite a lot of the, the campus um, and her, her students around in it. And this was... We did... Um, we, we started to look at the use of um, MP3 players for students. And it was originally, I was actually on the bus from the student residences to the campus um, one um, morning. Um, and it was a crowded bus and there wasn't one single student that didn't have earphones plugged in. And the, the ones that were less successful, you could hear the rock music coming out of them. And I thought to myself, yeah, they could be listening to lectures. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is where the Impala project was born. And please do, you know, go on the site and have a look at it because it has, of all the things I've done since I've gone to Leicester, the podcasting has been the easiest and the most successful with students. And we've used it in all sorts of different ways. It's so easy. I mean, we've got open source software in the physical zoo. We've encouraged um, staff to try out. I'm going to show you in a minute that the project has produced 16 pedagogical models of, of different applications of MP3 files. And it's definitely saved staff time and enhanced students' learning. It's been useful for both, for both distance learning and for campus-based students, and also a range of other applications, what I call learning location, where they're out doing field work of, of different kinds as well. Um, and so the technology that I thought was going to be subsumed in the way, you know, VLEs were to start with, of dumping content, we have managed to use in a very pedagogically sound and successful way. So um, we've now got an extension to that project. So we're pretty pleased with that one. Um, others in here, Wolf um, is the use of PDAs in the classroom, um, working with uh, local FE college. Um, a fairly early stage, but some interesting stuff coming out of that because we're using Moodle and we're looking at how both content and interaction can go down onto a small screen and whether it's of use in the learning location. And Llama... Um, is the leech agenda, employability, and so on. 
So we're having a bit of a go at all the, the latest things that are around. Um, okay. Um, I'm actually very good control of this, am I? Um, sorry. Yeah. Um, right, I'll leave you to have a look at the last one, which is the new, new stuff. This is where we're actually setting up at the moment something called the Learning Futures Academy, um, where we're looking at new technology, typically not that produced for learning, um, but produced for other purposes. This is obviously using Second Life. Um, and um, other technologies that are on the horizon that are risky. Um, but the key part about it is that we're engaging learners in the exploration of these technologies, and particularly future learners. And that's something you can do if you've got undergraduates on campus. You know, say, hey, come and try this out. And they're usually willing to do that. So one of the key things that we're doing in that area. Um, and if you look on my website, you'll see some videos of what our Second Life Media Zoo Islands looks like. I'm not going to spend time on that now because it's been too long, but I hope you will have a look. Okay, um, just back to my presentation then. Um, um, just a few bits and pieces that I thought you might be interested in before I finish. Um, this is on the Impala website, but this was working with individual teachers across a range of disciplines. We've come up with pedagogical models for podcasting, and that's one of the key things that has actually impacted on both distance and uh, physical learning. Um, and one of the things where the academics and the course teams at Leicester um, have come knocking on my door um, and camping out in the zoo, demanding to be told how to do this. Now, that doesn't happen to me very much. I mean, they still hide behind trees when they see me coming. So um, I, I'm particularly proud of this. And these are uh, they're a set of ideas and frameworks, if you like, for using MP3 work. Um, the five-stage model, which I developed originally here, um, has also moved on quite a lot. Um, and it... It uses wikis as well as bulletin boards now. Um, and so there's quite a lot of work going on that we have found relevant to both uh, campus-based students using the VLE and to distance students. Um, and it's also linked with it is the design of activities, um, which are short ways of designing for interaction in the online environment, which interestingly, works just as well with campus students as it does with remote students. Um, the key thing that uh, lecturers at Leicester didn't know, whether they were working on campus or at a distance, was how to design. Because if you're actually working face-to-face, -face, you busk things much more. You, you respond to things as they happen. And the concept here of prior design, maybe over many years before the students arrived, was a complete and absolute shock to them. Um, we don't spend too long designing, but we certainly spend some months now designing where we didn't before. Um, and we use this kind of structure, which works pretty well and is easy to understand. Um, 
I thought one or two of you might be interested in where my work on e-moderating has got to, which started off here, of course, in the business school and has gone on. Um, and this is one of the frameworks that's obviously appealed to lecturers at Leicester. Most of them had heard that, you know, Sage on the stage and they ought to be guide on the side, but very few of them had thought any further than that. Um, to becoming host on the post, or Tyler's on the wireless, or <laughs> Dude on the YouTube, or Bod on the iPod, or Wizzo on the Gizmo. And now they all want to, you know, be one of these things at least. And some of them, obviously, the use of video appeals. Some of them are really like the small handheld devices. Others are more interested in um, the podcasting. That's why the diversity of offerings um, which they can play around in the media, so is important. Um, this was also something um, that I did start while I was here, but I've had the opportunity to develop. Um, and this is what we've used. It's called a carpe diem process to enable lecturers to design for learning in a way they were unfamiliar before. And it's a very intensive um, course-based process um, where well, I used a lot of ideas and my familiarity with being a, a course team chair and all that sort of thing. But I've compressed them into two days um, and tried to work with people so that they get the essence of the importance um, and not necessarily the time. Um, so this is just a little bit about what I'm doing next. Um, we're setting up the Learning Futures Academy um, which, as you can see, has got these um, four main parts to it. Um, very much focusing on trying to anticipate the future and prepare for it. Um, so hopefully you'll hear more about that in the future and might like to come along to events and so on that we run. So that's it from me. I hope I've left a few minutes, Agnes, for questions. Thank you very much. I've, of course, done the reverse. Yes, you have, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, and so there's a couple of things that I just wondered about. Uh, one is about scale. Mm. So one of the things that st struck me coming in from Lancaster was the scale of operations mm -hmm. here, and consequent upon that, perhaps, is the structures that surround you here. So the whole course team approach and so on. Uh, and I guess uh, something that plays against that is speed and agility. Yeah. So one of the things that really struck me coming in was the loss I felt of a sort of control and the speed you could do things and sort of the way you could move around the system. It, it wasn't as obvious here as it was there. So in a way, I'm asking you a question to reverse that round. Going yeah. into Leicester, what was the what was the feeling about the scale? So it's seven and a half thousand mm. uh, distant students, which I guess you could have on uh, one of the sort of uh, Vast recruiting courses, a T171 or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's across 13 different departments and they're very different subjects and disciplines um, and some fairly unusual ones like museum studies and so on. Um, so, you know, there, there was very little consistency in the numbers. I mean, one of the first things that David Christmas and I had to do was to stop a load of courses that were too small. Um, 
So that was quite painful. Um, and much of the structures that Davis put in prose place, which are administrative, learner support and so on, are so that we can scale up in the future. And we've managed to keep student numbers m pretty much at a steady state until we can do that. But it would have been almost impossible, in my view, to have scaled up any more in terms of distance without some of those structures and processes being in place. And there, it is a worry uh, what you get to the point where you're going to slow things up too much. So I suppose we're, we're looking for that tipping point and only going that far. We don't necessarily have aspirations to be huge. We have aspirations to do it better, I suppose, slicker, more cost-effectively, more successful for student learning. Um, and I don't know when I'm going to reach that point, but I don't think we're there yet. At the moment, we're still we're probably about six months from course approval to delivery. Um, you mentioned that some of the uh, academics are beating on your door, and that's a novel experience, I think, for some of you. Well, how do you engage those who, who don't come, for whom maybe you have ambitions? To yes, yes. Yeah, I must admit that up until now we've largely worked where the energy is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we haven't been flogging too many dead horses. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Adaily project, the one I showed you first of all, um, that's very much about <coughs> excuse me, working with course teams. Um, we've got this very strong concept of institutional capacity building. Um, so we do a lot of sprat to catch a mackerel. Um, and we will try and work with one team in a department and knowing they will influence others. Um, we'll often say, well, why don't you make one podcast, you know? That would be okay, won't it? And then, so we've got a whole variety of mechanisms, which, frankly, we, we experiment with, and different things will appeal to different people. Um, it's a hugely autonomous place, and so it's definitely not one size fits all. I mean, can you engage, I don't know, you're not PVC, can engage PVC support? Yeah, we've had huge, I mean, we've had huge PVC right. support. Um, however, um, you know the lunatic asylum I showed you in the snow, which is where the um, PVCs and the VC hang out. Um, <laughs> um, it's called the Robert Fielding building, which was named for some dignitary or somebody who gave money or something. Um, and the senior managers at Leicester believe that there's a field-in effect, that if they say people should do this, then exactly the opposite should happen. So I think one of the characteristics is that I'm an academic the same as the rest of them. My main role is in research and disseminating the evidence associated with that, and that has been much more acceptable to other academics. And so I think they were clever in a way, in spotting that. Um, and so the door has been open to me almost everywhere. And that, that may be part of the reason we've been successful so far. But there's a way to go. There's a way to go. Work in progress. <laughs> Julie, have you, have you learned anything about um, subject-based teaching or disciplinary teaching? Yes, um, we've got uh, an underlying theme running, um, which is about disciplinary differences. Um, 
at the moment, the, the themes I've given you in my presentation, which are about understanding about course design, um, about understanding the difference between designing for learning and delivery, um, about the affordances of learning technologies and their appropriateness for different modes of learning, has probably dominated and uh, more than the differences. We, we found the similarities in what teams need in order to, uh, to be able to engage with new technologies, impact on their student learning, seem to be more important than their disciplinary differences. Of course there are differences, you know, like museum studies wants to use artefacts, geology are interested in mobile learning for field work, the medical school um, has been brilliant in their use of um, contributing student ideas and Web2 technologies. So I could talk to you about the way they've engaged with us and the, the, the way they've wanted to use different parts of our offering. But I haven't, I couldn't come up and I expected by now to be able to, to say, okay, well, science, you know, this is the hook for them. Um, languages, this is the hook for them. I've not done that, but I, it, it is a theme that we're still very interested in. And um, we're returning to it with assessment because we're wondering whether assessment may be more different than learning and teaching. One of the things we worry here is the fact that um, we need to have some progression and some continuity. Yes. And indeed, one of the things that we're struggling with is how we embed this technologies and how we go from level one to level two. And do we want to have a, let's say, a level one with an enthusiast who actually develops all this and then the student goes to level two and then find anything like that at all? Yeah. Is that, that something that worries you at the moment or at the moment because you are? You know, trying to embed the idea and, and get yeah. some. It, or does it matter at all? Do you worry about it? Um, yeah, yeah, we do. We have the same worries as you, um, because the students report on it, don't they? You know, oi, how come you're not doing this? And Professor Sanso is so. And if they're on campus, I mean, they. They talk to each other even more than the distance students do on a regular. And you hear them, you know, they come out of a lecture and say, wow, I really liked, the, you know, the click technology in that, you know. And there are, you know, the, the, the jungle drums move pretty, pretty damn quick. Um, however, I don't think we've worked it out, the solution to this at the moment. Um, we, we do have, on you remember the left-hand side of the matrix, the use of the VLE, the use of the library. We do have, you know, 100% targets along there, and we're pretty much close to them. I, I didn't bring all the statistics to you, but in those, the, the strategy is two years in implementation now, and we're pretty much hitting targets on all of those. And a lot of those on the left-hand side of development work are 100% targets, and a lot of the work on equivalence um, is going very well as too. On the right-hand side, if you remember, that's pilot work, it's research work, it's evidence work, and we will say to students, yeah, okay, you know, Dr. So-and-so's using podcasting, but, you know, somebody else is not the way of the world kind of thing. Um, so... Um, but part of the Learning Futures Academy is to try and anticipate that. 
because we think it takes us so long um, to get really good pedagogical processes in place that we need to be looking ahead um, so that actually by the time they get to it you can offer a hundred percent experience so we should talk more about that Are you coming up with um, any difficult problems with accessibility for disabled students? Um, or is it, is it easier to deal with in the face of... I think it's easier to deal with in the face of... Well, I think it is easier to deal with. The identification of them is the same. And, you know, the, um, our accessibility people love all the MP3 stuff we're doing, the podcasting, because it meets the needs of so many different um, disabilities or accessibility but issues. Um, if necessary, yes. But you perhaps get one a year. Yeah. You know, our numbers are so small. So, so far we haven't ha hit any serious problems with that. Um, and I think there's much more handcrafting that goes on than is possible here, for instance. Um, Something about the Beyond Distance Alliance events type things. Oh, I've right. been to something. I think they've been very good. And I know and okay. some people here might be interested. Oh, okay. Yeah, delighted to do that. Um, yeah, the Alliance is um, for any teacher or any researcher in the area of learning technologies who wants to join. Um, all you do is let me know, and you get on the list and you're mailed with sort of emailed with stuff. Um, at the moment, you, for seminars and stuff, you turn up for them. Um, but we have a conference once a year in January in Leicester. It's the 8th and 9th of January next year. Uh, fairly conventional conference. You can come and stay in the marvellous halls of residence and experience it for yourself. Um, and this year, there's sort of the first day, which I think is the 8th of January, um, is very much about... Um, you know, look into the future and the relationship between campus and learning technologies. Um, the second day is very much a chance to do workshops based on the various um, research projects that we've got going and find out more about how you can apply them. Um, and the Alliance is very much about collaborative research. So we're also having a Dragon's Den on research proposals. So if you want to get together with someone else and, um, you know, we've got people from JISC and so on who make judgments on these things. And um, so there's also a chance to progress collaborative ideas. Um, got quite a lot of seminars actually go on all the time. So it's worth putting your name on it. And I'd be delighted to see you if you want to turn up any time. Is that the sort of thing you meant, Chris? Yeah, okay. I was also interested, Gillian, um, the e-moderating course for developing countries. Yes. You said you learnt a lot from that. Yes. Can you say yeah. a few things about that? Well, I mean, it's uh, at the obvious level, it's, um, you know, how to cope if the electricity goes off. So, I mean, it really brings you <laughs> up, up short. Um, but um, I've got a researcher who's looking at the the way people respond to activities and e-moderating and the whole constructivist approach to working in groups. Um, and there's definitely, you know, the, the, the where people have grown up and their experience of le different learning models throughout their educational careers impacts hugely 
on how they engage in a, a, a you know a bulletin board work of that kind um, and it is different for different countries and different cultures within the countries um, so it's it was just blown us away what we've learned from running it really and there'll be more there'll be more Okay. How are we doing? Yeah, looks like we survived. <laughs> Thanks again. Okay, it's a pleasure. Okay. Yeah, do you want to put...